think we, I think this is like the splash zone apparently today. Uh, everybody's in SeaWorld sitting in the back row, um, afraid to get wet. But that's okay. I'll just, I'll just spit even further. I'm not afraid. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead, open them up uh, to two places. We're going to go uh, Matthew 25, and then we're going to go John chapter 12. Uh, both, both places are going to explain to us the same scene. Uh, but there's going to be different insights. So as you turn in there, though, let me let me start with this. Um, I don't I don't know what your favorite kind of movie is, uh, but but mine tends to be sport movies. Okay, uh, I am a sucker for it. it. It doesn't even have to be a good sport movie. Uh, if there is sport involved, uh, I'm in. Like I remember these old like uh, in the '80s, there was like these movies that are like BMX uh, racing movies or or skateboard movies. And it's, it's horrible. Like, you watch them now, you're like, I think that was like some junior high art project uh, that they were trying to accomplish. But, but I, I get sucked in uh, very easily. And we have some great ones uh, in our time. Go ahead. If, if you have a favorite one, just go ahead and uh, just say it out loud. Um, I'm sorry, the blind side? Barely sports, but okay. Uh, I'm sorry? Rudy? Yeah, as, as, as this guy, I was thrilled when that movie came out. Uh, what else? What are, what are some other ones you love? I, I like, I like, what? What are you going to say, Cameron? Nothing? Rainbow Bright? Gotcha. The not a sports movie, just your favorite. Gotcha. Um, I, I'm sorry? The Sandlot? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I like, uh, I like Rocky, um, one through four. Anything after Ivan Drago was just a mistake. Uh, except Creed. Creed is pretty good, right? Remember the Titans? Um, I even get sucked into, like, the Mighty Ducks, right? Now, I grew up, um, and the Mighty Ducks was, was new and relevant, and um, and I loved the first one as this, like, Bad News Bears version of, of hockey wins the city championship, you know, and then they go to Mighty Ducks 2, which was just a little bit of a stretch because now they're the juniors national team representing Team USA, and then... For some reason, in the third, this team that won the USA, you know, junior championships couldn't make the varsity squad in their prep academy. Um, defies logic, but you know, nonetheless, I I always get sucked in to those movies. And I remember, uh, especially depending on the one when I was growing up, if it was like, for instance, Rocky, um, all you wanted to do after that was pummel whoever you were with. Uh, and you're like, all right, let's let's talk about rules, no hitting in the face or below the belt, but hey anything in here let's just go to town um but but there's something about there's something about those movies that that draw something out of me and and the best ones have you sitting on the edge of your seat and and the best ones have this this moment of there's and you're like i'm not even part of this team but i just love this so much uh and and it stirs you and and my bet is that uh it's not the beginning of those movies that draw my attention it's the end of them uh as you've invested time uh, with that team or with that group, and and you start to see the underdog become the victor, and uh, and all of a sudden you find yourself rooting, and then uh, the the kid sweeps the leg illegally, and Danielson kicks him in the face, which by the way, still an illegal move in karate, um, uh, but nonetheless you find yourself celebrating uh, their victory, and it's the climax of those movies that make them worth a lot. You take the climax out, you're like, that was just a movie about um, and so uh, that that is in in through 
this gospel for almost two years now. Uh, and we are coming into the final couple weeks of it for us. And, and what has been building is a very climatic uh, scene that we've been... Uh, and, and now I should preface it with this, that it's going to be hard steps to get uh, to a beautiful point. But, but in these final weeks, we, we find not just the climax of Matthew, but the climax of uh, the most impactful moment of our lives. Uh, it's really easy to deceive ourselves in this day of age to convince us that there are things more important than the matters we're going to discuss in Matthews 26, 27, and 28. Um, but it is it brings us to the most important decision, the most important moment of our stories. And again, it's going to be some hard steps to get to this beautiful point because it's going to take us down the road uh, following Jesus to the cross. We're going to follow Jesus into the grave. We're going to follow Him through His resurrection. And, and these things, they change everything for us. It, it changes our past. It changes our present. It changes our, our future. It gives us a purpose uh, for today. It, it allows us to be part of a story that is much larger than ourselves. And, and we find uh, in these chapters, we find pictures of God's holiness uh, we find uh, pictures of our own sinfulness as it comes to the surface when we get to see the role that Jesus plays in our lives. And, and we would be wise these next couple weeks to walk through these passages uh, in, in both reverence and excitement. Uh, this is, again, it's going to be a hard place, but it brings us to a very beautiful uh, spot. And, and we get to see our path to freedom. And we get to see our path to life. And we get to see our path to hope. And so that's, that's what I'm excited as we kind of come to the climatic end of, of this, uh, this gospel, that we get to see these things on display. So let's stop and let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you and we are very thankful for the role that your son plays in our lives. And we, we pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that we would see worship on display. That we would find things to emulate that we would find things to avoid. Uh, but most of all, Father, that we would see Jesus more clearly, that we would hear um, Him tell us about His mission. We love you, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray with speak in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm sorry about that. Um, so, okay, so what our verses this morning are going to do is going to give us a snapshot, and we're going to see three different people. Uh, and, and and each of those people, we're going to center of worship in their lives. And I think each one will help us see something uh, important about our own hearts. Now, before we get there, though, we need to do a little housekeeping uh, when it comes to the way Matthew is telling the story. Uh, that that we need to see some movement that's happening in the background. Now, understand this: anytime we're talking about Jesus in the Gospels, he's always in the front, right? So anything that we see happening in the background is leading us to a place. And, uh, and so, so what we're doing here is we are, Matthew is walking us to the circumstances that lead Jesus to the cross. And so this is where we start in Matthew 26, verse 1. Okay? He says this, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, okay, so what, all, what things? The things that we've been talking about these last couple weeks, about the end of the world, uh, about when his kingdom comes. So when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming. Okay, so we have two days 
Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified. Then, okay, verse 3, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Okay, so, so what we've been seeing develop is coming into play. We've noted for a while uh, the growing jealousy and the hatred of the uh, chief priests and the elders and the religious church leadership uh, as they've come in and they've tried to quiet Jesus down. They try to run him out of town. Uh, and then uh, lastly, they've decided, okay, um, letting him be in prison isn't going to be enough. We have to arrest him, but we also need to kill him. And so uh, we've seen this kind of play, and the days are coming when this plan will be, will be executed in the middle of the night, uh, which usually is an indication that you're doing something wrong, right? Uh, if you're doing it in the cover of darkness, uh, there's something at play, and we find out why, right? Uh, because they feel if they arrest Jesus in the daytime, that the people would come to his defense, and there would be a great uproar. And, and it's in this moment that Matthew is going to take us to, to Jesus' Last Supper. But before he goes there, he's going to give us a flashback of something that happened uh, just recently. Uh, and and it's, we're going to see something important happen with a lady. Uh, and, and this lady's name is Mary. Uh, and we're going to find that out in a minute. Uh, I'm not just making up names today, uh, but but we're going to we're going to find that Mary is going to do something around Jesus in this flashback, and it's going to bring us to a question that we're going to ask in our talk notes. Uh, and the question is simply this: Is worship ever a waste? Is worship ever a waste? And so here we go, verse number six. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany. Okay, so if we've been traveling, we get the graphs or the charts out, right? We know that he was in Bethany. Uh, and, and so when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head, and she reclined as he reclined at uh, the table. Now, this is why I had you uh, pull up John chapter 12, because that's going to be important here, because... John describes this scene as well, um, but he's the only one to designate a name to this woman. Uh, in fact, he will say uh, this was Mary. Now, Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. We find her uh, three times in the Gospels, uh, and coincidentally, or ironically enough, I guess, uh, every time we find Mary, she ends up at the feet of Jesus. Uh, every single time. And uh, in fact, most of what she does is very confused uh, by the people around her uh, because they don't understand why she's spending uh, so much time, why she's giving so much devotion uh, to Christ. And John tells us some additional things that Matthew kind of leaves out, uh, and I feel it's important to note. He says this in John chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment, okay? So, so like, Matthew says, ah, this lady brought a flask of expensive ointment. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, and you're thinking, like, this lady's hiding it in a flask. So he, she brings a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, right? And you know, you know it's a fancy oint, uh, perfume when it's made of nard. Um, and anointed, okay? okay so, so Matthew has told us she anoints his head. Uh, John tells us she anoints the feet of Jesus and she wipes his feet 
with her hair. Okay? The house was filled. Yeah, Barry just gave the same look. Like, what in the world? Why would you do that? Uh, and I'm glad you have that look of the wilderness. Um, because I'm going to tell you why that's significant here. Uh, it says that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And again, we might think that's weird. And I say, okay, she wiped her hair, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. And what she's doing is actually a very powerful display of worship. Okay? It doesn't fit in our context, in our um, societal context, but it would for them. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 tells us that a woman's hair is her glory. Uh, that a woman's hair is her glory. It's her one of the things that she could be most proud about. And so, so what Mary is doing here is a very beautiful act of surrendering her glory to her Lord. Uh, she surrenders it. She worships Him by bringing such a beautiful, such a precious gift. It's an act of love and it's an act of devotion. And as she does it, it brings this beautiful fragrance to the entire house. Okay? The entire place. And so here's the truth about our worship to God, that it's never a waste because it centers us, it empowers us, it reveals to us a greater joy that we have in being known by Him. And what we see taught in the Bible is that, that when our best gifts are brought and our purest devotion is given, uh, that, that there's a greater intimacy that we get to share with God, because here's what we know, and He proves this in His Word, that when we don't bring our best to Him, He doesn't say, "Good try." He says, "I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that." You can go all the way back to Cain and Abel. Both of them brought an offering. One of them brought the best. The other one brought the leftovers. And God says, I, "I don't need that. You're not doing me a favor by bringing me your less than your best." And so. So what we're what we're asking we're asking whether worship is a waste because this is about to be brought uh, into question and it's going to kind of overlap for a moment as we talk about our next person. But here we go, verse eight uh, in Matthew twenty-six. And when the disciples saw it, okay, so here comes here comes up Mary with her pound of nard, right, and she pours it on the head of Jesus. In fact, let's we should create a perfume like that, Cameron. You and me. Uh, it's called nard. Oh, okay, good, good. Um, so uh, when the disciples saw this, okay, it says they were indignant and they were saying, why this waste? Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and it could have been given to the poor. And, and now we're, we're going to talk about this more in detail in a moment as we address the actions of Judas. But, but nonetheless, the disciples are confused by this act of worship. In fact, they look at it and they say, your devotion right now is a waste because we could have done something better with your worship. Uh, if you would have just brought it to Jesus and said, hey, we could sell this, uh, we, we find out that the value of this perfume is worth about 300 denarii. Uh, and you say, well, I didn't bring my conversion chart. That's okay, I'm going to tell you. Uh, 300 denarii is about a year's wage uh, for the common worker. And so the disciples look at it and, inter- I mean, and Fair enough, right? They said, we could have... She just poured it out on his head. She just poured it on his feet. That's that's a waste. We could have really done something with that. And But Jesus will come to the defense of his own. Much like he does all the time. Much like he does for you and for me. 
constantly. Verse 10. But Jesus aware of this. Okay? I love that. I love it when he says aware of this. Because typically what's happening is that these guys have gathered around in their small group circle um, and they started whispering. Hey, I get Mary really loved Jesus. It says, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Like, like Mary gets this. She gets this. Like, it seems like the disciples are always kind of following behind. Uh, like they're just lagging, like it's happening. And they're like, oh, wait, yeah, that's what's happening. I get you. Uh, that's what one of them sounds like. I don't know if all of them sound like that. Um, but she has done this beautiful thing. And it says, in pouring this ointment on my body, uh, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, Okay? Whenever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed and this story is told about His final days, uh, in the whole world what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And we sit in the fulfillment of that prophecy right now. That's what we're doing right now. We're seeing Jesus speak prophecy over Mary's life. And we are remembering what she has done. And the disciples, again, they think Mary's act of worship is a waste, and, uh, and Jesus calls it a beautiful thing. So who's right and who's wrong? Right? Um, I'll just, heads up, um, Jesus. And, and here's the truth about worship, and it's supported throughout the Word, that worship always costs me something. Am I willing to give my best? Worship always costs me something. Am I willing to give my best. And now some days I think some of us are like, yeah, I get that. I'm on I'm on board with that. And then some days when you're dragging, some days when people are irritating you, some days when it was hard to get out of bed today even though you died an extra hour of sleep, right? And you're like, I'm going to give to God my best devotion today. And that's a fight. Because in a matter of days, the same head that's anointed with oil and the feet that is covered in fragrance will have a crown of thorns placed on them and nails driven through them. And these things that went right, these things went right through the object of Mary's worship. And it comes at a great cost. And, and by addressing the anointing, Jesus uses this opportunity to center the hearts of His disciples by bringing Himself to the top of the priority list. Uh, he says... He, 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 not that he's saying that the, the poor are to be ignored, right? We spent considerable time last week talking about when Jesus says that, that when you do these things to the least of these, uh, you do them to me. And when you choose to ignore the least of these, you choose to ignore me. So he's not saying we should ignore the poor. He's not telling his disciples, hey, don't worry about the needy anymore uh, because this is all about me. No, he's bringing himself to the front. And he says that and our worship always centers us. That's what it does. Now, now, here's what it centers us on. The thing or the object that we believe to have the greatest value or worth. And so Mary comes in and she says, it's all about you, Jesus. And so I bring my best gift to you. I pour it out on you because it's all about you. 
is in this moment, she's not trying to figure out who's most important. She's not trying to figure out what's most valuable. She says it's Him. It's Him. Our worship always centers on who or what we believe to have the greatest worth or value. So Mary's brought her best. So we've asked the question, right? Is worship ever a waste? And the answer to fill out in your talk notes is simply this. It's a very seminary-like word. Nope. Not no. Nope. Gee, nope. Worship is never a waste because it makes much of Christ by putting His great worth on display. Nothing given to Jesus in love is ever wasted. Nothing given to Jesus in love is ever wasted. Now here's what I know about that. Say it. There are times I have told Jesus, hey, um, you did through for me in that deal, and I think I wasted that opportunity. I could have done something else. And the Word tells us it's never wasted. In other words, now it might not always come out the way you expected it to, but it's never, never wasted. And that's going to lead us into verse 14. Uh, it's going to lead us to a new scene uh, and, and a guy, a new character, a uh, guy named Judas. Okay, And here's what Judas is going to teach us, that proximity to Jesus is not the same as intimacy with Jesus. Proximity to Jesus is not the same as intimacy with Jesus, that, that we can be aware of Jesus and we can even spend time in the places that he spends time in, and we can still end up with no loving relationship with him. And this is really just um, what we've been exploring the last uh, couple of weeks and months here at Merge, that uh, verse 14, Matthew 26, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests, and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him, being Jesus, over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, uh, which was about the price for a common slave. And from that moment, from that moment, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so, so there's a few things the Word teaches us about Judas, and um, who, who most definitely, uh, to me, is a pretty confusing character when it comes to all disciples. Um, uh, but, but, and there are many beliefs for why he acted the way he did and what led uh, to his betrayal. And, and, and all the motives uh, lead to one place where his sinfulness and God's uh, plan intersect by handing Jesus over. Uh, that, that's what happened. So I want to be very careful uh, that I'm not trying to shape verses to kind of lead us to a secondary point because this is all leading us to seeing Jesus' uh, sacrifice and I don't want us to speculate. I want us to step back from that. So, but we do know a few things. Um, Judas uh, was the treasurer of the group, meaning that he held the money. Uh, so when things needed to get paid, it went through his wallet. Uh, when things were being assembled, uh, he was the one that it all ended up uh, with. He was the holder as the treasurer of the group. And, and John tells us uh, that in this scene with Mary and the the ointment and the perfume and the nard, I should say, uh, that, that Judas actually speaks up. And he's vocal about his displeasure of Mary's act. In fact, he says this, John 12, verses uh, 4 through 6, 
but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, uh, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, John tells us, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Okay? So, so John just called him out. But that dude was a thief. He was a chump. Everything that was brought in, he would help himself to it. And here's what we know, that when a thief is in charge of someone else's stuff, it becomes very easy for them to suit their own desires. Very easy. In fact, Jesus uh, has grown in popularity over the past three years as Judas has walked with him. Uh, he has seen the people celebrate him from town to town. He has witnessed people giving him money. In fact, he has seen it firsthand that he is helping himself into the pot uh, to suit his own desires. And here in these final couple of days, that celebration has started to come to an end. And, and Matthew takes us out of this flashback back into the real time. Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, okay, now lo- I love it anytime Jesus says stuff like this. Because I imagine the disciples being like, that doesn't make any sense, but okay, we'll figure it out. So this is what he says. Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, okay, the the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Okay, so so he says, go to to the city, find a certain man. And so one of the other gospels tells us, you'll find a guy who is carrying a jar of water. Okay? Find that guy. Just like he told them, hey, go into the city and uh, grab a donkey and um, the mare. And um, everybody says anything. He says, it's cool. Jesus said I could do this. Um, And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table uh, with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You want to talk about a moment that was really fun and nice and beautiful and it just got really awkward? You ever been in a room where it feels like all the air just got sucked out of it? Um, so Jesus, as he's just kind of kicking back, says, Oh, hey, by the way, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting line. Because I, I think they're sorrowful because Jesus has said, You're, One of you will betray me. And I think there's something inside their hearts at this point that is unsure that it might not be them. Now, we know who it is, right? Uh, Matthew has told us, he's written, he's written this in hindsight. John tells us, you know, that he's telling us the story in hindsight. At this moment, they don't know and they're sorrowful because they know, I believe that they know there's a chance. They, though they don't want that, that it's possible it could be them. So they were very sorrowful, and they begin to say to him one after another, Is it I, and this is what I would like you to do, if you underline your Bible, uh, or circle in your Bible, um, circle that next word, Lord. They say, Is it I, Lord? Okay, and that's going to be important here in just a moment. 
And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And you're like, oh, I've played this game of food before. I know. I know what's going to happen. Just pay attention. Or if you're that person, like, well, I guess I'm just not going to dip the bread in the, in the wine, right? He says this, verse 24, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, right? That's what it says. Answered, is it I? Then I want you to circle or underline that next word. Rabbi? Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. And the weight just falls. And so from, from this point, Judas has been looking for an opportunity to betray him. That tends to affect the way you see a person, doesn't it? That, that, that tends to affect your affection for that person. And now, as he's been looking at Jesus saying, how am I going to do this? Jesus says to the group, hey, by the way, one of you are going to betray me. And he's like, oh, no, he's on to me. But he has to cover, right? Because the whole group is sorrowful and they're asking, is it, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? But then Judas says something different, right? What does he say? Is it me, Rabbi? And there's an important distinction there. Because Jesus has served uh, them as a rabbi. They are his disciples. But that designation reveals much about his heart. Reveals much about his heart. Because Lord is a greater designation than rabbi. And so it shows us, and I think this is the tragedy of it, that... that that, that Judas is a person who, who was a lot like many professing Christians that Jesus warns us about in the Bible and even today. Uh, he was in the group of believers, but he was not of them. He wasn't of them. His, his life is a warning to those who pretend to serve Christ but who are far from God. He's, he's, warning, uh, he's bringing us a warning that those who waste their opportunities and waste their lives... In fact, he's going to literally... Jesus will call uh, Judas the son of perdition, uh, which means the son of waste. And what he has told his disciples is that it would have been better for that guy to not have been born at all. And the tragedy of Judas is that his life has led to waste. In fact, I believe the greatest warning over Judas's life uh, for us is that if we only come close to Jesus for personal gain, then we are always one moment away from being willing to betray him. Always one moment. Because it's usually in that, in that case that when he stops benefiting you, then you stop trying to benefit him. And that's, not, that's not relationship. That's not the way it works. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to end on that. That doesn't bring me warm fuzzies. Things feel good, and luckily we don't have to because um, what we're going to get to do here as we wrap, as we get to toward the end, is that we're going to focus our hearts and our attention on something that Jesus teaches us about His will. 
okay? This is where we go. Uh, in your last blank, I believe, Jesus says this, I am poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is something we get to celebrate. I am poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, as they were eating, okay, this is an interesting night, uh, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, um, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave uh, it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he says this, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay? So the celebration that they're having right now, the feast that they are having, is the Passover feast. It's a significant moment in the life of the Israelites. Uh, what it does is it, it's a, it's, it's, you know how we celebrate Easter every year uh, and we all buy one good-looking um, outfit so we can put on our Sunday best for Easter, right? Uh, no? Um, Barrett's like, I'm wearing shorts and t-shirts. That's, that's what we do. Um, but, but the Passover for the Israelite is what Easter does to us. It symbolized this moment of God's great rescue. Uh, they were in bondage and God set them free. Uh, if you uh, would like to watch the Prince of Egypt, this will tell you how it works, right? Uh, and and so, so after the course of um, many plagues that God has sent Pharaoh, uh, the final one was the death of the firstborn. And he says, I'm killing all of the firstborn. He goes, but I will protect my own that if they would take the blood of a lamb, uh, an unblemished lamb, and they would put the blood over the doorpost uh, as the Holy Spirit comes to take the firstborn. Those houses, that's their indication that those houses are protected. And after God takes the firstborn, he, Pharaoh relents and says, just go. He is a man broken. And the Israelites become free. They experience freedom in their generation for the very first time. And so every year they would gather and they would celebrate this significant event. And Jesus comes in and he takes these two elements and he says, I want you to understand something that is changing in this Passover celebration. This, this bread is my body. And we'll celebrate this in a couple of weeks uh, as together like we do each Thanksgiving time. He gives thanks and he breaks the bread. He says, this is a symbol of my body. My body is being broken for you. And then he pours out the wine and he says, this is a symbol of my blood because for the forgiveness of sins, there must be the spill in the blood. He says, take and drink. And, and then there's some really beautiful things that, that happen. And what Jesus is doing is in this process of accomplishing in these chapters as he is serving as the Lamb of God. We can go back to uh, the Gospel of John 2, uh, where, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. Jesus comes in, and he stops it all. And he says, everybody, look. I want, you, I want you for one moment, take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off what's going on around, around you. And I want you to see Christ, because that's the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sins of the world. And this is what Jesus has been very patient with his disciples to explain. And he's telling them this stuff now because when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will remind them of these things. They have these moments where they say, Oh, I get it now. I get it. And Jesus says, I'm being poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So we can start wrapping this up. I can think of uh, just, just no greater act of devotion. I can think of no other uh, display of worship than what Jesus puts together in this picture. Because, see, you and I break bread and we're like, ah, that's not a big deal. That's not hard to do, right? Unless it's stale, right? But you break bread and you're like, that's, that's an easy task. You, you pour out some juice and you say, that's, that's simple. The hardest part of that is just not spilling it. But what Jesus is doing is he's drawing our hearts to see what he is accomplishing for us. And it's anything but easy. Anything but. And so our question today is what do we do with acts of worship, right? What do we do with our devotion when it intersects at times with our desires and what God is calling us to do or who He is calling us to be? And what I want you to see is that as Mary seems to get it, as Mary brings her best to Christ, he looks at his disciples in the middle of their complaining and he says, this is a beautiful thing. And then we get warned about Judas because you might not be Judas, you might not have gone to the chief priest, uh, but, but, but... there's a very real possibility in your life that you would not honor Christ as most and as greatest and you can get to the end of your days and it would be a wasteful life. But all of this revolves around our worship is a reflection of Christ's worship. Because here's what he did. He says, God, I love you more than I love my own comfort. God, I love you more than I believe these people deserve your love. I just love you. And I want to honor you. I want to pour myself out because you have brought me into your story for such a time as this. So we get to respond to. Worship is never a waste. Never. I love you guys. Let's, our desire this week is to love God by. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We are very mindful of your care for us. We are mindful for your love that you've shown us in Christ. And we pray that we would emulate Mary more in our lives and that we would avoid being more like Judas. We pray that our very best would be brought to you. 
that we would be excited and cheerful in giving you our very best, whether that be our, our time or our talent or our treasures. And Father, we do this because we just we want to be poured out the same way your Son was poured out for us. We want to live in a manner that is worthy of such a great calling. So Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to give us insight and boldness and strength and courage that we would reflect your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.